Take your Bibles as we're standing. Turn to Matthew 14. And while you're doing that, let me just share some things. There's a, there's a book table out in the back, and I don't want to take these books home, so help me out. A little book my wife wrote called Life is Like a Garden Hose, Parables from Life. It's a great book. A book on revival called Hawaii's Great Awakening tells the great story of what God did in Hawaii in 1835 and what I believe he's going to do again. Somebody say amen. It's one of the greatest revivals in human history. And I analyze it, I'll tell you how it happened and how we can see it happen again. A little book entitled Power of the Cross, uh, the Lord quickened to me our people they really don't know what I did for them on the cross. And so that's why I wrote it. A little book called Miracle on Maui tells the story of how a little church of 100 people on Maui is now a church. It's really even gone beyond 165. It's up to behind 174. We're in, seven, we're in four, 15 states and 15 nations. We're all through Hawaii, and we're touching thousands. And the principles that God gave me can work in life in every aspect of your life. Then there's three books. You Can Be a Winner in the Invisible War. It's the power of binding and loosing. A little book entitled Closing the Forbidden Door tells you how demons infestate people and how you get rid of them. How many think that's a pretty good plan? Amen. If you can only get one book, get this one called Defiled, Overcoming Satan's Assault. It's a profound book on the strategy of the enemy to destroy you and how you can overcome. Are you ready for the word? How many came ready to receive something from God tonight? I want you to turn in your Bibles to Matthew 14. We're going to read together. And, uh, you know, Jim, Pastor Jim already gave an introduction. For some reason, every time I come, I want to build your faith. How many wouldn't mind having strong faith? Let me see your hand. I figure if I can deposit uh, or impart to you an understanding of faith, you'll leave this place. You'll have miracles. Somebody say amen. Turn with me to Matthew 14, verses 25 through 31. Let's read the word of the Lord together. As evening approached, uh, let's, let's shoot on down to verse 25. All right, here we go. Uh, during the fourth watch of the night, Jesus went out to them walking on the water. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You old little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died. And those who were in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. Come on, let's pray. You have the freedom to pray with your spirit. Just begin to pray right out loud. Holy Ghost, come. Come in power. Come in might tonight. Lord, I thank you for these who've come on a Wednesday night to receive from you. I thank you for your power. I thank you for what you want you're doing through this great church. I thank you for the pastoral team that you have imparted great gifts to, and they have blessed your people. Now, Lord, I ask that you use me tonight to impart faith to your people. Lord, give us strong faith tonight. I pray for an anointing to come on me and an anointing to come on these who are here. Give them ears to hear and a heart to respond. 
and eyes to see, and we'll be sure to give you all the praise in Jesus' name. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. God bless you. You may be seated. I know all of you want to be strong in faith. I do too. Because without faith, it's impossible to please God. Every gift of the Spirit operates according to the measure of your faith. In fact, answered prayer is dependent on your faith. Everything in God is dependent on your faith. Now the question then is, is what is faith? Well, there's a standard definition found in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1. Let me read it in the King James. Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. The NIV says, now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. But can I give you the James Morocco version? Faith is the action you take on your way to fulfilling your hope. Did you hear me tonight? Faith is the... Come on. Faith is the... You take on fulfilling your hope. If you don't have hope, you don't have faith. If you don't have any action, your hope is nothing more than a fantasy. Paul the Apostle talks about faith when he describes Abraham as the father of faith. And in Romans 4, verse 17, he says, As it is written, I have made you a father of many nations. He is our father in the sight of God in whom he believed. The God who gives life to the dead and called things that are not as though they were. The basis of your faith literally is is the character and the power of God. What you think about God determines the level of your faith. Faith is multifaceted. I could spend hours. In fact, I did a whole series and I'm writing a book on it called Faith Is. It can be endurance, like patience and perseverance and, and resisting the devil. And it can be expressed through love. It can be a seed that you sow. It can be confession. It can be obedience and on and on and on. But the key for us tonight is how we can learn to live a life full of faith, being strong in faith. And that's where our text takes us tonight. Let's take a look at the text for just a moment. You're familiar with the story. Jesus has just fed the multitudes. They're going to try to crown him king. So he gets the disciples out of the picture, puts them, tells them to get into a boat and go to the other side. A storm rises. They're not doing very well. In the middle of the night after he'd prayed, he literally walks on the water toward them. Now, it's at this moment we see something very strange happening. We see Peter uh, saying stuff that we go, whoa, what's this about? In fact, he says to Jesus, if it be you, Lord, bid me come. Now, I know that Peter tends at times to say things without thinking it completely through. And that, that, that may be one of the occasions. But I want you to dissect what Peter said. And I want you to look at this story from the perspective of how we can have strong faith. I mean, how many of you have ever walked on water? Let me see your hand. Nobody. There's only one person in history outside of Jesus who walked on water, and that was Peter. So if anybody had some strong faith, it was Peter. Well, how did this whole thing start? Well, the very statement Peter makes, if it be you, Lord, bid me come, 
He is asking the Lord to let him walk on water. Now, we're all, I I don't know about you, but for me, I'm going, uh, Peter, that's strange, Peter. That's, That's really strange. But in Peter's mind, it wasn't strange. I mean, in his mind, he saw his master doing something. And, and in ancient times, whatever the master did, the very essence of what the master did was done so that the disciples could then follow him and do what he was doing. So remember when Jesus commissioned the disciples to go out and cast out demons and heal the sick. Why? Because Jesus was casting out demons and healing the sick. So if he sees Jesus coming on the water in his own thinking, he goes, hey, if that's Jesus, he can bid me come on the water and I can walk on water. And he has this desire to do something no one's ever done, to walk on water. Wow. I got news for you. That desire that Peter expressed, even probably before he thought it through, is the beginning of every miracle. Desire is the starting point of every miracle. What do you desire? There are two kinds of desires in the Bible. There is the desire from our fallen human nature. James writes about it in James 1. Each one is tempted when by his own evil desires he's dragged away and enticed. And that is our, our fallen human nature has desires. And those desires expressed can cause us to be trapped by the devil. Are you hearing me? In fact, the battle that all of us will face will be between our fallen human nature and the new nature God plants in us the moment we believe on Jesus. And we can choose. We can choose to live by our fallen human nature and be corrupted by the enemy and lose out with God. Or we can live by the Spirit and not yield to the lust of the flesh, Paul said. So that battle's going to be with us, but I got news for you. There's some folk in this house that have determined to win that battle. Somebody say hallelujah. Well, we have those desires, but there's another desire the Bible talks about. I believe it's a desire that is born out of intimacy with God. My father, when he died in 1986 on Maui, he had joined my staff for two years before he died. He was one of the great missionaries of our time. He started the great work in Calcutta, India, where I was was born, and he also pastored the largest church in the Philippines at his time. And uh, great man of prayer, great man of God. He joined my staff in 1984 and died in 86. Started our early morning prayer meeting. But when he died, we put on his tombstone his favorite verse. You know what it was? Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he will give thee the desires of your heart. You see, Dad was always delighting in the Lord. You never saw him unhappy. He was always whistling. He was always singing. In fact, as a boy, I can remember <clears throat> he had this great operatic voice, and he was... he. Uh, he would be singing at a stoplight, and I'd be sitting in the front row trying to hide because everybody's looking at him. But he was that way, smiling, laughing, praying, delighting in the Lord. And, I, and one of the interesting stories about my dad was when he was in Bible school, he saw a young lady. Her name was Esther. And, oh, was he attracted to Esther. So he began to pray, oh, God, I really like Esther. 
And God gave him a verse, and it was Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give thee the desires of thine heart. So he did something I would not recommend. He wrote her a letter. And he said, he said, uh, you know what? Uh, God gave me a word. And it's Psalm 37, 4. Delight thyself in the Lord, and he'll give me the desires of my heart, and you're my desire. It didn't go over very well. She got real mad at him, didn't want to talk to him, wouldn't even look at him. But how many know a praying man gets answers to prayer? And by the time they graduated, after they graduated, that lady by the name of Esther became Dan Morocco's wife, and I'm the product of their love for each other. Somebody say amen. And so on his tombstone, we couldn't think of anything better than that psalm. But that's the key for a miracle. As you draw into this intimacy with God, God's desires become your desires. That's exactly what John writes in 1 John 4, 5, 14. This is the confidence that we have in him that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Are you still with me? With me? It's His desires become your desires. His will becomes your will. And so when you ask, wow, that becomes the beginning of the miracle. What is it you want from God? What is your relationship with the Lord? Is there an intimacy there? Do you know his will? You yearn for it. Do you delight yourself in him? Do you and your wife, are you in agreement as to what you want? I, I, I always talk with my wife about, honey, what, what can we agree in? Because if two of us will agree... And are you living holy? Because the Bible makes it clear in 1 John 3, 22, and whatever we ask, we receive from him because we keep his commands and do those things that are pleasing in his sight. Don't give me this nonsense. Well, I prayed and nothing happened. It may be you're not pleasing him by your life. Smile at me. I'm preaching good tonight. Aren't you glad you came tonight? So live holy. And begin to think about the fact that that desire is the beginning of your miracle. The other day, the Lord quickened me about something. It's the most amazing experience I've, I've had. I've looked back on my 38 years on Maui, and all of a sudden it hit me. Everything I've ever asked for, God has given me. I saw... I saw a, a skating rink that was the largest building on Maui at the time. And I, I began to see it with my church name on it. God gave me that building. I saw a piece of land, the most prestigious corner of all of Maui. And I'd reach my hand out to that land. And I'd say, God, if you ever let me build a building on Maui, I want to build it right there. Today, when you come to Maui, the largest church building in the state of Hawaii is right there on that property. I was... I was driving on the big island, and I saw a piece of property. I said, Lord, I want that property. Did you know that property is where our church is on the big island? On Molokai, I, I saw a piece of property. I said, Lord, I want that property. That's what I want right there. Had no money. And the last day before escrow was to close, a lady walked up to me and handed me the money I needed to close escrow. I can go on and on and on. I saw a shopping center. God gave me the shopping center in the most 
in the most uh, wealthiest place of all of Oahu. I saw a piece of property in Alaska, 18 acres. It overlooks all of Wasilla. I said, God, if you want me to be in Alaska, I want that property. We own that property today. We're building a $12 million building on it right now. And I thought, well, God, what is this? How does this work? And what I felt like the Lord spoke to me about is he said, look, son, as you have intimacy with me, I put my desires in you and I wait for you to speak them out. And the moment you speak them out, because you and I now are in agreement, I work on your behalf. Listen, guys, this is heavy duty stuff. I'm talking about the God who created all things, who waits on you to ask. You have not because you ask not, the Bible says. Are you still with me tonight? So Peter had a desire, and his desire was to walk on water. And <laughs> Now, he was smart enough to say this one thing. He said, Lord, if it be you, bid me come. Because he knew if the Lord didn't make him, allow him to come, he's going to drown. And the Lord said, come. The second thing you'll notice is not only a desire, but we need to very clearly recognize that faith is obedience I've had the privilege of being a part of Dr. Cho's church growth board for 34 years. It's the largest church in the world. I've stood on the platform when a million people prayed at Yoeda Plaza. You couldn't see one end from the other. I've preached at Olympic Stadium with 100,000 people there on a work day for a prayer meeting. I've preached in his church. I've traveled with him, preached in all of his extensions. And... People have asked him, how were you able to build such a great church? And here's his answer. I pray and I obey. Peter understood that if Jesus said come, he could do the impossible. And Jesus said come. It's interesting when Peter walked out of the boat, got out of the boat and walked on water. It's not recorded in any of the other gospels. Mark doesn't record it because Peter's not going to brag on himself. And Mark literally is nothing more than the sermons of Peter. Luke wasn't there. John writes his gospel totally different. But it's Matthew who records the story because Matthew was in the boat. And the effect of Peter walking on that water so shook Matthew. He said, when I'm writing this gospel, I'm going to put that in there. What you do makes a difference not just to you, but everyone around you. And if you walk by faith and not by sight, things will change not just for you, but for everybody around you. So he gets out of the boat and he takes action. He takes action. Everybody say it with me. He does what? Say it with me again. He does what? Oh, say it again like you mean it. He does what? Wow. Everything's going well. He's walking on the water. Something no one else has done in history other than Jesus. Then all of a sudden something changes. There's nothing greater In Peter's life at that moment than being able to do something no one else has ever done. That's a picture of tremendous faith. 
But then all of a sudden, by the end of the story, Jesus says, O ye of little faith. Well, what happened to the strong faith? How did it, how did it diminish? Well, first off, you'll notice something. He takes his eyes off Jesus and looks at the circumstances. It says he looked, he saw the wind. Now you can't see wind, but what it says is he looked at what the wind was doing. And sometimes we get our eyes off of what Jesus said, off what Jesus asked us to do. We get our eyes on ourselves, on our problems. Anybody know what I'm talking about? And so faith just vanishes. He became afraid. The circumstances overwhelmed him. He became afraid. Fear is a weapon the enemy will use to paralyze you. Listen, one of the most profound verses in Scripture the Lord gave me recently. It's profound. I've read the book of Philippians many, many times. I've studied it. I've taught it. But this verse became real to me. It's Philippians 1, 27 and 28. It says, contending as one man for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. The enemy wants to put fear on you. God's going to put in your spirit courage to stand strong in this day. Somebody say amen. And if you will not allow fear to grab you and you stand strong, you put your faith face on. You may be freaking out inside, but you put your faith face on. The Lord says when you demonstrate that, your faith, what's going to happen, the ultimate end, is that your enemy is going to be destroyed and you're going to be saved. Somebody say hallelujah. But the third thing that Peter did is that he doubted. Everybody say he doubted. And that doubt shrank his faith. Oh, you of little faith. And Jesus asked this question, why did you doubt? Why did you doubt? I read a book years ago, probably one of the most profound books I read that helped me in this area of doubt. It's called In Two Minds by Oz Guinness. And he begins to probe the issue of doubt. Now, doubt is a fascinating word because we have one word for doubt in our English language, but in the Greek language, which the New Testament was written in, there's five words for doubt. It can mean double-minded. It can mean uh, uh, to be separate uh, within, it, like you can't make up your mind. It can mean to, to um, uh, be up in the air. It can mean to, to just thoughts that grab you. It can mean hanging back or, or hesitating or uh, we have reservations. All of those statements are, are aspects of doubt. We have to realize that Doubt necessarily isn't bad. In some cases, it's good in that in 1 John 4, 1, it says, Dear friends, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they're from God because many false prophets have gone out in the world. We're called to test spirits. That means we're called not to believe everything we hear. So in that sense, doubt is good. But if we're not careful, doubt can move us away from faith into the realm of unbelief. Doubt is not the opposite of faith. Doubt is kind of in between. Unbelief is the opposite of faith. And if you're not careful, you allow seeds of doubt to begin to work in your brain. It begins to move you toward unbelief. And then you're lost. Then you drown. You say, well, pastor, how does that process work? Well, let me just give you some ideas. 
First off, sometimes we doubt because we fail to remember. Remembering is a very important part of the scriptures. I'll never forget a time I was under tremendous financial burden. You don't, you, you don't build campuses all over the world. Build, build, we're in seven building programs right now. Give me a break. Just bought a building in West Virginia, trying to buy another building here, another building there, and then all these building projects. And every one of them, I go, Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. And this weight financially grabs on me. And I remember one day I was crushed by it. I was kneeling in my office, and, and I, I couldn't, I couldn't breathe. I couldn't get out from under it. And the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, get in your car. Got in my car, He's, and he told me to where to drive. I drove over to the first little building I came to when I was a pastor there. A little building held 150 people. Now, we had remodeled it to seat over 550, and we built another building. And he said, did you have any money to do all that work? I said, no. I remember the day when there were just studs up, and we didn't have any money to finish the building, but there it stood, all finished. Then I drove over to the skating rink. It's, we sold it long ago, and it's a big tile store now, but... I drove into the parking lot and got out and walked around it. And he said, remember this when you had no money for this and I intervened for you? And I got in my car and I drove by the cathedral and there the cathedral stood. And every time I drive by it, I just say, thank you, Jesus, because I know the miracles that God did for me to be there. By the time I finished my little drive, I was saying, praise Jesus, praise Jesus. God's going to see me through. Somebody say Hallelujah. Remember, everybody say remember. Turn to your neighbor and say remember. Sometimes we doubt because we don't have the right picture of God. Sometimes we allow unanswered questions to distort the picture of God. I'll never forget. A young man died in my church. And the Holy Spirit. Spirit spoke to me as I was going to visit his mom. The Holy Spirit said, when you get to see her, she's going to ask you. The first question she's going to ask is, why? Why did my son die? Here's the answer you're to give her. Ma'am, you're asking the wrong question. It's not why, it's how. How do you want me to respond? And exactly as the Holy Spirit spoke to me, that's exactly what happened. First thing out of her mouth was why. Listen to me, the question of why is a question of humanity because we have purpose. The very reason we ask that question at all is because we, there's a God who gives us purpose and we want answers. And that's not bad. It's just the problem is we have a pea brain and God, even if he told us the why, we wouldn't understand it. Half of what Jesus said, the disciples didn't have a clue. They just, oh, what's he saying? What's he saying? And I've come to this conclusion, I may never know why on certain things till I get to heaven, but I can know how. How, Lord, do you want me to respond? And when I move in that realm, listen to me, faith gets to be released. Sometimes we, we, we doubt because we're not committed. You're not committed to anything. Not committed to a church, not committed to a spouse, not committed to a job. Not, and then you wonder why you have so much doubt. Just slap yourself. <laughs> problem isn't God. The problem's you. You've never been committed in anything in your life. Get committed. 
That's why I'm so excited you're here on a Wednesday night in the midst of a storm in church. You're committed. Somebody wave at me if you're committed. Come on. Fourthly, do not, you're not growing in the things of God. Listen, somebody asked me, Pastor, do you play golf? I don't think that what I do is really should be called golf. Now, when I joined Dr. Cho's board, they gave me golf shoes and said, Dr. Cho loves to play golf, so you're going to have to learn to play golf. My businessman got me a beautiful golf set. They even gave me golf lessons, hired a professional. And, oh, man, for a, for a while, my wife and I, every Monday, would go out and play golf, but that was years ago. We started building a home, and that all went out the window. So when I go play golf, I play golf once a year at our golf tournament. And then I have to intercede for angels to come and knock my ball back on the fairway. Somebody say hallelujah. Now what's the problem? I'm not growing in that. So every time I get on that golf course, I doubt if I'm going to hit that ball right. Some of you doubt because you're just not growing. That's why you need to be in the classes. You need to be in the house of God every time it's open. You need to get into the word. Somebody say amen. Sometimes we let our emotions control us. We're up, we're down, we're up, we're down. Some of you personality-wise, when you were born, you doubted whether your mother birthed you. Who is that lady? Now, all of us are different, I understand that. But don't allow that to rob you of faith. Elijah had a problem like that. Think about Elijah, amazing. I've got to, I've got to close this down. But Elijah, interesting enough, think about this. He, he stops the rain right? He calls fire down from heaven. Then he, then he commands the rain to come. He prays and rains come. And then he, he, he outruns the chariot of Ahab. I mean, this boy's Superman. He could have had an S on his coat. I mean, faster than a speeding bullet. You guys don't know that. That was in the early days in the fifties when Superman was on. I mean, here he is. And then a little lady named Jezebel writes a little note, says, I'm going to kill you. And he runs. In fact, he runs and he says to God, God, just kill me. He should have just stayed where he was and Jezebel would have done that for him. You go, what's wrong with you, boy? What's, what's, what's your problem? Well, he had an emotional problem. Whoop, whoop, whoop. But God works with you even if you're that way. Just when you're down, don't doubt. Just say, I'm coming back up pretty soon. Get a good night's sleep. Eat something. Get some hormones in you. You'll be fine. Praise Jesus. Sometimes we've allowed an open sore, a wound, to continue to rob us of faith. Listen to me. If I had a sore on my arm and there was a crowd here. You know, Autumn, instinctively what I do, I wouldn't go into that crowd. You know why? Because if I go into that crowd, I'm afraid somebody's going to touch that sore and I'm going to have pain. That's true emotionally. Sometimes some of you can't receive because you, you have a wound there. Something happened to you. Get healed. You say, you mean it's that simple? Well, listen, I have a doctorate in pastoral counseling. I know that there's a lot of needs among people. I understand that. But I'm also aware of the power of the Holy Ghost. You've got pastors here who can lay hands on you, counsel you, minister life to you. You've got people in this house that will pray for you and encourage you. And be transparent, be open, let God heal you. So faith can arise. And finally, 
Don't let delay bring doubts. Just because God's not on your timetable doesn't mean he isn't going to do it. Can I tell you one story and then I quit? Can I have a moment more here? Many of you know we bought a shopping center. The payments on that shopping center was 150000 a month. I was paying over 200 quarter of a million dollars every month on payments just for buildings. That may not be a lot to you, but it's a lot to me. <clears throat> and uh, when you know when the economy crashed, um, that $150,000 payment, I lost... The, the, the offerings went down 150000 in one month. That was my payment on that shopping center. And I'm going to tell you what. That was one of the hardest times I've ever gone through financially. And I sought God and I prayed. And God spoke to me. He said, condominiumize the shopping center. That had never been done in the history of Hawaii. It had never been done. That meant the Chinese restaurant became its own condo. Uh, the Jack in the Box became its own condo. The 7-Eleven became its own condo. Our church became its own condo. So I did that. Well, as a result of doing that, a bank banker came alongside and refinanced the thing and dropped our interest rate from seven and a quarter to four percent. Somebody say hallelujah. Saved me sixty thousand a month. And the thing went on, and I even put it on the market, but nobody bought which was a God thing because it was delayed. I thought, oh, wow, we're getting delayed here. No, it was all a part of God's plan because here's what happens. In 2015, a developer comes and knocks on my door and he says, I'd like to buy all the condos. You can keep your condo. I said, I'll keep my condo, but I want the 7-Eleven as well. You know why I wanted the 7-Eleven? Because of Matthew 7-Eleven. You say, what's that? Well, if you who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask him? Somebody say amen. So Matthew 7, 11 is right next door to me. We settled on a price, and we went into escrow. The escrow went on for a year and a half. And, and, and I thought, this guy's just dragging it out. It ain't going to happen. And I'd, I'd get so mad. I said, I'm going to call this thing off. And I'd go to prayer, and God said, wait. I said, God, wait. It's okay, son. I did that for a year and a half. Finally, in June of 2016, it closed. We paid off our entire debt on that shopping center. I still have our condo, which is over half the shopping center. I have 7-Eleven. The value of just my condos, those two condos, is $22 million. It's debt free, and God handed me a check for $22 million. Somebody say hallelujah. I was so excited. And then my son, Pastor Josh, who is the site pastor for Oahu, calls me. He said, Dad, did you see the video? I said, what video? He said, well, in 2014, at the prophetic conference, Jim, Le Jim LaFoon was here in Maui, and he was prophesying over me and my wife. I said, oh, he was? What did he say? He said, well, and he, he sent me the video, and here's what's on the video. We have steps going down like this, and and Jim said to Pastor Josh, he said, um, step up the stairs, and every step is two years. So he walks up the step, and the first thing out of Prophet Jim's mouth is, God's going to lift the financial burden from off your shoulders. That would be 2016. And in 2016, God lifted the financial burden off my shoulder. 
And I said, Josh, why didn't you send this to me a year and a half earlier? Here I'm sweating, I'm upset. And God had it all worked out. Don't you ever think a delay is a denial. Somebody say hallelujah. Stand to your feet. We're going to pray. Now listen to me, please. Faith comes by hearing the word. So get into the word. Build your faith. Be filled with the Holy Spirit. Don't let doubt rob you. If you're doubting stuff, ask God to reveal to you the roots of where that doubt's coming from. Because that's not his plan. Are you hearing me? Are you hearing me? And begin to desire great things from God. Take action. Oh, yes. And keep on going till Jesus says stop. Somebody say amen. Lift your hands in the air because I'm going to pray for you. Hallelujah. Lord, I thank you for this great congregation. I thank you for what you're doing right now. How many of you here would say, Pastor, I want to be full of faith. Wave at me, wave at me, wave at me, wave at me. Keep your hands raised. I'm going to pray. I want you to pray this with me right out loud. Lord, 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 fill me full of faith. Give me revelation of why I struggle with doubt. Put your desires in my heart. Let me move in prayer so you can answer those desires. And then, Lord, help me take the steps, the steps of faith to move toward the hope you put in my heart. And, Lord, I thank you for what you're going to do. With every head bowed, everyone praying, just a moment. I never want to close a service without giving somebody an opportunity to give their heart to Jesus. You might be here saying, Pastor, I've never really honestly given my heart to Jesus. Why in the world would you want to go to hell? All my friends will be there. You'll never see them. It's a place of great anguish. You say, well, how do you know that? (laughs) Very simple. When somebody breaks our human law, we put them in jail. Where'd we get that idea? We punish them. It's because... We reflect a concept of justice that was given to us by God. Listen to me, please. You break God's law. The Bible says the soul that sinneth, it shall die. That means separation from God forever. This isn't some little religious game we play. There's heaven, there's hell. There's only one one. There's only one person who came who can redeem us. He lived a righteous life, the life we should live. And when he died on that cross as the sacrifice for our sin, a great exchange took place. Your sin came on him. His righteousness came on you. But you have to do one thing. You have to ask him to take control of your life. With every head bowed, everyone praying, you'd say, Pastor, would you pray for me? I want to give my heart to Jesus tonight. Let me see your hand. Lift it up real high. Lift it up. Yes, God bless you. God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? God bless you. God bless you. Are there others? God bless you. God bless you. You can put your hands down. How many say, Pastor, I used to serve the Lord, but I drifted away. I'm not where I should be with God. Pastor, pray for me. Let me see your hands. Slip it up real high. Real high. Yes, yes, yes. Everyone lift your hands as a sign of surrender to God. I want you to pray this prayer right out loud. Mean it with your heart. Dear Jesus. Everyone, come on. Dear Jesus, I ask you to forgive me of all of my sins. You died for me on the cross so I could be forgiven. And you rose again. So I could have eternal life. Jesus, come into my life now. Be my Lord.
be my Savior. I surrender all that I am to you. And I will serve you with my whole heart. Fill me now with your Holy Spirit. Give me your power so I may live for you and serve you. Thank you, Lord, for hearing my prayer. And thank you for loving me. I'll give the Lord a big hand clap of praise, would you?